Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 209, where we interview Bola Sokumbi from Clever Girl Finance and hear her story of saving and saving and saving and investing and living her best life. When I had friends who were living in Times Square and they had an apartment that cost, I think, $7,000 a month. They both split it, so $3,500 each, not to factor in <laughs> eating out and all those kinds of things. And some people even lived alone. And of course, you have to buy the Louis Vuitton bag and the Chanel bag to go with your power suit that you got from Fury that cost you $600. So it was like, so after a while, I just started to shy away from those people because I did like all those nice things, but I just, I couldn't afford it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. Like I could barely pay for my dinner when I went out to eat with them because of where they wanted to go to eat. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my compulsive reader co-host, Scott Trench. Word, Mindy. Thank you. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, I am super excited to talk to Bola today because she is just a delightful person, and I love her story, and I was really wanting to get her on the show, and then somebody posted in the Facebook group, I am so in love with Bola, so come be, can you please get her on the show? I'm like, it's already scheduled. I love what she says in her story. She came over from Europe, from Nigeria, and her story is actually not that dissimilar to the money stories of people who have lived in America their whole lives. Other than having to figure out the way that American money works, she came from nothing. Most of us also have no financial background. She didn't really have anybody she could ask, like her parents or you know, brothers and sisters, because they didn't really know how the American system worked. Again, not so different from people who have been born and raised in America. Unless you're taught how the money system works, you don't know. And there's not a lot of like fallback on your parents because they don't know either. So I just, I really enjoyed talking to her today and hearing her story. Yeah, I think it's a great story. And I think that it, it it's a reflection on her values that she was taught growing up values that are shared across many different, you know, upbringings, both, you know, from folks that are grow up abroad and, and in the United States, and then a slow journey of slowly kind of accumulating knowledge about how to invest and build wealth and become an entrepreneur and those types of things. And it's really awesome to see how effectively and well she played her hand um, and, and to, to become a very successful entrepreneur ultimately here today. And so I think that's it's been a really fun journey and, and hats off to her. That was awesome. Yeah, I think she has an insatiable curiosity and drive. And it comes from, you know, the experiences she had growing up, like you said. But yeah, she is not going to be stopped. And she is like a freight train running down the track. Just, I am going to succeed. And I love her, her enthusiasm. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Bola Sokunbi from Clever Girl Finance. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me, Mindy. I'm excited to talk with you as well. I cannot wait to tell your story because I do see a lot of parallels between your money journey and, frankly, my own money journey. So I would love to hear where your journey with money begins. So I would say my journey with money begins just with earliest memories of what my parents would tell me about what to do with money if I had it, right? Um, my dad would always say, penny wise, pound foolish, which is a British saying that basically means if you cannot manage your money when you have a little, doesn't matter how much money you end up having, you're not going to be able to manage it either. And both of my parents will always tell me that I never want to be a financial liability on anybody, not even myself. And so I always wanted to make, make sure that I had my own money. And this is something that my parents would tell me all the time. And I think that a really significant part of my money journey or story just comes from observing my parents, observing my mother as a young child. So, um, you know, my mom got married very young. She was 19 years old. My dad was in his 30s. Um, he had a PhD. My mom had a high school diploma. And as were the times back then, it was not nothing unusual. Women typically got married very young and they get married and they become stay-at-home moms while the husband goes out to be, you know, the breadwinner. And my mom, as she started to get older in her marriage, older in age, she started to see things that she didn't feel comfortable with. She was seeing friends trying to leave 
bad relationships and they couldn't because they had no idea of the family finances. She was seeing friends who unfortunately would lose a spouse and they would have nowhere to go because again, no idea of the family finances. And there are many times where I would sit in the corner of the living room and listen to my mom console a friend of hers who was in a difficult situation or who had come over with suitcases and her kids because she had nowhere else to go and she was going to be spending the night at our house. So I think those were the, you know, like listening to the advice my parents would give me and just observing my mother, most especially, were the beginnings of my money story. And let's look at high school and college. Did you go to high school in America? No. So I was actually born in Austria. I was born in Europe. Um, I went to part of grade school there. And then I went to part of grade school in Nigeria. And then I went to high school in Nigeria and then part of college in Austria. And then I came to the U.S. to graduate. Wow. And how did your financial situation look? That sounds like a lot of plane trip trips yeah. and... Uh, I don't know what the cost of college is in any of those countries. (laughs) I mean, it was really by virtue of what my parents did. So my dad was, you know, working for the government at the time and he got an assignment to work in Vienna, you know, as an econometrician. It's not something a lot of people know, but there is about, there are about eight econometricians at any given time that work for OPEC fund and they represent, um, the highest oil producing countries. And what they do is they are mathematicians and physicists and they set crude oil prices globally. And so that is what my dad did. And it it was on an eight year tenure working for the Nigerian government. So I happened to be born there at the time. And then his tenure ended, we moved back to um, Nigeria. And then uh, I had the opportunity to go to college abroad. And the opportunity to go to college abroad really came from just economic instability in Nigeria at the time. There was an unstable government. There were a lot of strikes by university professors and other workers where sometimes a strike would be nine months and then they would go back to school for three months and they'll be on strike for another 12 months. And so it was taking a long time. I had cousins who were in university six and seven years later because of all of this instability. And so at the time, my parents were like, okay, you know, do what, what are the options? Can you go to college here? Um, to give you a bit more backstory, um, you know, when I was born, my dad was, my dad is someone who, if there's anything he can give to a child, he's going to give you education. Education is something that is valued more so than anything to him because of the opportunity that it gave him. And my dad comes from a background of poverty. He was, both of my parents are first to go to college first to go to (laughs) grade school, them and their siblings. Um, And that's because my grandparents did not really, they didn't have the money, number one. And number two, my grandfather on my father's side didn't really trust the whole colonial education, just given the history of, you know, colonialists in Nigeria. And so my dad didn't start grade school until he was 13. But going to grade school, going to college, getting scholarships, he was able to create this life for himself and his family. Um, and to him, education was the most important gift that he could give. So my dad spent the bulk of his earnings sending my brothers to the best schools that he could afford, to the best colleges that he could afford. At the time that, and at the time that it was time for me to go to college, my dad had health issues that caused him to retire about 15 years earlier than planned. 
And in the grand scheme of somebody's retirement planning, 15 years is a huge amount of time. And so the question then became, can we afford to send you to college here abroad? I mean, or do you just have to just figure out the strikes and just hang tight and go to school here? And at that time, my mom stepped up and she's like, you know what? I'm going to support you going to college because I've been putting money aside and sending you to college abroad is at the expense of my retirement. And it's not your right. <laughs> it's an opportunity that I'm giving to you. And your goal is to seek out whatever scholarships you can get and to do well in school. And so my mom, you know, ended up supporting me through college with me getting a partial scholarship and she was working her butt off for me to go to school abroad, starting out in Austria, which was the easiest place to go to. I went to um, the college my mom had actually gone to. So uh, after my mom, you know, started to see those things happening with her friends that she didn't like, she decided that she wanted to take her own financial wellness into her own hands, whether or not, you know, my dad was bringing in money. She wanted to be able to contribute to the household finances. So my mom went to school with me as a three or four year old and I went to all her, her college classes with her and I would sit in the corner and she would tell me to shh. And I ended up going to the university that she went to and she supported me through that. So going to going to college came at a very great expense. People sometimes hear, oh, your, your mom paid for college. You must have a money tree in the back of your house. But it, there really was, you know, the option was to stay and see when I would even start college given the strikes in Nigeria or go abroad, right? And I couldn't qualify for any student loans at the time just because I was not a U.S. citizen, even if I was going to an American university. So I would have liked to have student loans <laughs> if I could have afforded it to give my mom a break. And so knowing that I couldn't do that, I just went and tried to figure out how to get a partial scholarships that I got a scholarship working at the library and I got a scholarship working at the computer lab. And those two scholarships combined um, helped me pay for half of my tuition. And then it got to a point where there was just no money to pay, right, in between leaving Vienna and moving to here in the U.S. And so I took a year out of college, right? So I, I, I took for a four-year degree, it took me five and a half years to complete it because there just was not money to pay for college and I couldn't get any loans, right? Even though I wanted to. <laughs> so um, that's, that's in a nutshell, the story of college. Which, what'd you do for that year in uh, your break? Oh, I got, uh, I was able to get some part-time random work. Uh, I sold Avon to my mom's friends. <laughs> <laughs> I I went home to visit my parents. It was, you know, I did all kinds of random things. <laughs> nice. Well, so, so what was the position upon graduation? What were your debts? It sounds like you didn't have any debts, but what was your degree in? What were you, what were you left with at the end of college? So fortunately, without really realizing it, I came out of college with no student loans. That was a blessing in disguise. Um, my older brothers are American citizens. They have student loans and I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, you know, not to have student loans, but I quickly realized that it meant not having a payment and it meant not owing <laughs> anybody tens of thousands of dollars, right? Including my brothers who owned, who owed student loans as well. And so I studied computer science and business in school. I came out of college and I went straight into working and consulting. And for me, I just wanted to be able to help my mom. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to make money. And so I got a job in consulting where I was making about $54,000 before taxes in New York City. And to me, that was like, oh my God, amazing. The most amount of money I had ever made in my entire life. I was rich, 
basically, with my $40,000 after taxes, <laughs> it, it quickly dawned on me <laughs> that if I was going to live, <laughs> that was not a lot of money. But I, I somehow made it work because I had just never been exposed to that, that much money before. So even though to many people that was not a lot of money, to me, it was like, wow, I've never had this much money before. Yeah. So you studied computer science and business. That is, what year did you graduate? First, let's go back to that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I graduated in 2004. Okay. So I think that right there is forward thinking and graduating without student loans. I know a lot of Americans graduate with student loans That's just the thing. And I love that. I mean, I don't love that you couldn't get student loans, but I do love that you couldn't get student loans because look at what an advantage you have. And yes, it took five years instead of four, but I know a lot of people on the five-year plan, uh, the six-year plan, and they come out with student loans and they just like, they squander the opportunity because they don't recognize what a huge opportunity it is to go to college in general. I mean, I, I did not study computer science and business like an intelligent person would. I studied fashion design, which is not a passion of mine. And I worked in the industry like once. Your dad started grade school at age 13 and became an econometrician, which is a thing I've never even heard of before. But I don't spend a lot of time with OPEC either. So (laughs) that's just the value of education is so big. And I think that so many people don't recognize what an honor it is to have an education. It is. um, For me, it's something that I don't take lightly. So like I said, my grandfather was not a fan of anything that had to do with colonial education or what he would call the white man's education. And in his opinion, he felt that if he was going to send anyone right to this school, that he was going to send his male child. So my dad has a twin sister um, who is not formally educated. So my aunt, my dad has a PhD. My aunt does not read and write in the traditional sense. Like she can do math in her own way, but it's not the way that it's taught in schools. She doesn't speak any English because she didn't go to school in English. She didn't go to school at all. And it's just seeing that contrast between the two of them, twin siblings who are best friends, but have completely different lives just based on education. And also the fact that just given the time, the female child was not necessarily prioritized. And I think that was something that was just worldwide, right? There is a woman's place. There is a place for the for the girl. And when you think about it, it's, you know, you look back at even the movies or you look back at, depending on the age of your listener, your 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 grandparents' generation, even your parents' generation, the daughters are always taught the recipes from the grandma. It's always something passed down, a recipe, some great recipe. And then the boys are always pulled aside to talk about business and money and, you know, yeah. you know things that are more... That in today's world, men are more comfortable talking about finances, whereas women, it's more of a struggle because generationally, that was just never our place. Like even in the States, in order to open a bank account or buy a house, you had to take (laughs) a man with you at some points, right? So education is something that gave uh, gave my family many opportunities. And like I said, Mindy, both of my parents, right? And their siblings were the first to go to college, first to go to grade school. My mom on the other side, you know, her and all her siblings were formally educated, but her parents were not either, right? They were typically traders or farmers. They had some type of trade that they did. 
that was not tied to a formal education. And so my dad, just based on the opportunities he had with his own education, he wanted to, he he doesn't believe in, I give you a million dollars and that's your inheritance because you can blow that money. But once you have your education, you always have it with you and you can use your education to become anything that you want to. And that was his philosophy. And so, you know, and my mom had that. And that's why she was like, you know what, at the expense of my retirement, I'm going to help you go to college so that you can get this good education. And my mom was working and hustling while I was going to college. Like she would use her savings, she would get paid and it would immediately go to my college tuition. So it wasn't like, oh, there was some tree at the back of our house that we went and pulled down the dollar bills. And keep in mind, at the beginning of my college education, um, they were converting from a lower currency to dollars. So when I was in college in Austria, they were, I was in an American university and my tuition was in dollars. You're, you're, wait, you were in college in Austria and your tuition was in American dollars. Was it, so this is where my ignorance shows. I don't know anything <laughs> about the cost of, of European education. Was it the same price as an American education? Like you can come here and you can pay 30, 50, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yes, it was an American university in Austria that I went to, and I actually came to the American campus for my last year and to graduate. So it was the same costs. Okay. I think it was even more expensive because it was Europe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, your mom was working and paying, and were you working during college as well, or were you just going to school? So I had that work scholarship where I was working at the, oh, at the library the library and the computer lab. And I was just, I couldn't work formally, like get a job in the mall or anything like that. But uh, I took advantage of that. Like I would photocopy all of my textbooks. I never bought any textbooks because they were all in the library and I had nothing but time. <laughs> so I would sit in the library and copy hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I was allowed to do that. That was a perk of me working there. Uh, so nice I always had perk. textbooks. <laughs> yeah, because textbooks are very expensive. Uh, they cost $100, $200 for one book. And if you have six classes, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, that that's like half the cost of college right there is the books. And then when you go to sell them back to the library or the bookstore, they're outdated. They can pay, like, yeah, it's yeah. last edition. You get 25 you bucks for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So fast forward from college, you went, you spent your last year in America at the university. You graduated with no debt. You started your job and you were making $40,000 a year after taxes, which is, I hear that. And you say you're in New York city and I'm like, Ooh, that's not very much. Were you living with your mom or your brothers or were you living by yourself? I mean, that right there eats up most of the the money is the housing expense. Yeah. So I lived at home for the first six months and those first six months, my, my mom was like, listen, you have a job. It's time for you to go like figure out where you're going, <laughs> pack up your things. I've helped you pay for college. Now you are a free bird. <laughs> Move out. <laughs> so during those six months, I've saved about $15,000 to put towards a down payment on a condo. Um, and then I end up getting you know, I was, I was during those six months living with my mom. My brother also lived closer to New York City. So I would kind of like flip between both of them and go to work. And I saved to purchase a condo, which I purchased in South Jersey. And I would make the commute to New York City, which wasn't that bad. It was about an hour um, 
you know, and then eventually based on my consulting work, I wasn't spending as much time in New York City anymore. So I was able to save to buy my first place within those first six months of coming out of college, getting that job. And I think I got that job about a month out of college, but I was so hungry to work that I went and got a job at CVS as soon as I graduated, even just before graduation, because I, I finished all my course requirements in March uh, so that I could leave campus so that my parents wouldn't have to pay for tuition for um, what's it called housing. And my graduation wasn't until May. So in March, I got a job at CVS and I worked as a cashier and a Photoshop photo uh, technician where I, I um, you know what they do with the pictures when people had film mm-hmm. and you would process all of that. So I was making, I don't remember, like seven fifty or $8 an hour. <laughs> Um, and so I started saving that as well. And I would walk to the CVS like 20 minutes from my mom's house. Um, so yeah. So you, you have a condo and you have $15,000 at, at, you know, with this and it's a, it's a year after graduation. What, what, what do you begin doing with your money and begin to, to, you know, where does your kind of like wealth building journey with money mm-hmm. kind of begin moving forward, I guess. So I put that $15,000 towards the condo. That was my my down payment for the condo. I think it cost me like $135,000, something like that after and the down payment. this is in payment. New York? This is in New Jersey. New Jersey. And I have a mortgage of about $900. Uh, my credit was great. I went and got a car because I needed to drive to New York City and drive all over the whole place to my consulting jobs. So I had a car note for about, I think about with insurance and everything, the car note was about $300. It wasn't any kind of fancy car. And then I had my basic utilities. And I told myself, okay, I have this massive amount of money that I'm earning. (laughs) I want to save. I want to just make my parents proud. You know, my parents, they don't, they're, my parents are not like, you're going to take care of me in retirement, but having them see me do well was, it made them very happy. Having them know, them knowing that I was being responsible made them very happy. So I just wanted to save. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about the American system. I mean, I knew what my parents had told me about Pennywise, Pound Foolish, save the money you have, but I didn't know what a 401k was. I didn't know about credit. I didn't know any of these things. And I remember sitting at the first HR um, orientation for my job and they were talking about this 401k. And I'm like, why would I, why would I, why would you pay me? Then I pay you back with my money so that you can (laughs) invest it for me. I don't think so. (laughs) And so in my mind, I'd already canceled the whole idea of 401k. I was like, what a stupid idea. And then the next day they came back to just talk about it again. And she's like, well, if you contribute, we'll give you six, a hundred percent match up to 6% of your contribution. And I had my pen on my table and I did the math and I was like, wait a minute. 6% 6% of this amount, whatever it is, times 100%, whatever it is, that's a lot of money. You know what? Sign me up. I'll take my chances with you this first year. So I signed up for the 401k just to get that match. That was my first step. Second thing I did was I wanted to save cash. I wanted to put cash in the bank. So I opened up a credit You know, My mom had a credit union in um, Tennessee at the time. And she's like, you know, it's a great, re- great way to save money. Credit unions are great. They're customer friendly. Um, at the time, they didn't really have a good online portal. So I had to fill out all this paperwork. I didn't understand why I was doing it, but I did it anyway. And then I had a percentage of my paycheck sent there every paycheck. And my goal was to save at least 
I'm getting my math right, my goal was to save at least $800 to $1,000 a month to send a paycheck to send to that um, credit union. So I started saving cash. I started investing my 401k. I started teaching myself how to invest, made all kinds of ridiculous errors. And initially, when I first started learning how to invest, I thought that I needed to go talk to a financial advisor because they know about investing in America. So I go to this financial advisor's office after I had saved a good amount of cash. I think I had about ten or $12,000. And he said to me, he started asking me all these questions that initially I thought I thought they were in line with what I told him I wanted to do. I, I want to retire at 65. That was what they said we we're going to retire at in the 401k meeting. And you walked out with a life insurance policy. No, no, he said, oh. <laughs> he started saying, well, where did you get this money? Who gave it to you? Do you have a boyfriend? Are you married? And I'm like, oh, oh that's way worse. Why do you, Ugh. he's like, but you're like 22. Why do you have this money? Why do you, and I'm like, what do you, he just wanted to know where I got, like, I think in his mind I had stolen it and I had come there trying to get him to help me invest money that I took from somewhere. And I was so angry when I left that, um, <laughs> left that meeting. And you know what? I realized in talking to my friends that I was not alone. I had another friend who went to talk to a financial advisor and she had a lot of student loans. And the guy basically told her, you know what? The solution to your problem is to marry rich. No, it's not. <laughs> that that is a viable path to financial That's freedom. Right. That is that yeah. is what he told her. Oh. We, we never discussed that strategy here on the Money Show, Mindy. Yeah, like, I marry didn't... rich, help yourself. <laughs> You're in New York City. You can find a rich husband. That's basically what he told her. So I left angry, and then I just started figuring out how to invest. I made all kinds of ridiculous errors. I I bought high and sold low. I made gains and didn't think about taxes. And eventually, I started to learn, and I started um, investing more. I ended up maxing out my 401k, and then I started a side hustle. So, so um, you just you just went through, and I think this is great. But you said, "Hey, I, I, I you went your own path. You start at twenty two. You get this. You, you get this horrible experience with the financial planner, and then you kind of figure it out. How long is that path of figuring it out? Do we just go through a, a three year period, a five year period, a ten year period? How, how, how? What did that look like? So by the time, so actually not twenty two. I'm sorry. I think I was twenty four years old. I graduated college at twenty four. Um, okay. So I had that five and a half years. So I started like eighteen and a half, and I finished at twenty four. So it's twenty four. And three and a half years later, coming out of college, I had saved over a hundred thousand dollars. So I had saved about one hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars between my four hundred one k and my cash savings. So that was the window of time from twenty four to three and a half years later, twenty seven and a half, twenty eight years old. And, and, um, and during that period, you're investing in the 401k and you're also trying other things experimentally. And your your opinion is that you're doing a bad job with those investments, but it sounds like it couldn't have been boy, too bad um, with the $100,000 at 27. Yeah. I did do a bad job. I mean, I mean, there was certain, the 401k was the saving grace, right? Because I was, I started, I didn't max out the first year because I thought it was a scam. But then when I got together, when I realized that it wasn't, I ended up maxing that out. I got advantage of the free match. There were a lot of gains before that 2008 recession <laughs> happening in the market. So that was beneficial. I was saving cash. Um, and then I started this side hustle and I started a wedding and lifestyle photography side hustle, which I had for seven years, right? But those, I, I had run it for about two, one and a half to two years before hitting that $100,000 mark. 
On the first year of that side hustle, I made $10,000. The second year of that side hustle, I made about $30,000. Um, the first $10,000, I paid the little taxes that I owed and I spent all the money buying equipment. And then the next year was just really more profits because um, I already had my equipment that I needed. And I was very much self-taught uh, and that was very helpful. But this, the, the side hustle was... <sighs> It was something that I, I wanted to do to increase my income. And I felt that I was limited by the few percentage raise I was getting, right? So by the time I got to that 28-year age, I think my salary was about 70000 before taxes, $72,000. And I was like, if I want to try to save as much as possible, I need to think about how to bring in more money. And I stumbled into photography by accident, but I made it a gig because I realized that people would pay me even if my pictures are not that great. And then I realized the better I got, the more I could charge, right? And, you know, well after I had reached that seventy, that $100,000 milestone, uh, my highest earning year working full-time doing wedding photography was about $70,000, which most of it was profits because, like I said, I already had the bulk of my equipment. So I was doing that. I was doing that evenings, weekends. I was shooting Friday, Saturday, Sunday, working, sometimes getting in an airplane, traveling all over. I would take my work laptop and my personal laptop, and I would be editing on the plane or editing in the hotel, wherever I was, editing at home. I was always editing. And I remember at that time, um, a lot of my friends who I had met working in New York City, started to ask me questions like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you doing all this? Like, do you have money problems? And it was a lot of pressure for me because these were friends that worked on Wall Street. Um, their bonus was two, three times my annual salary. And I just couldn't understand why they were making 100 plus at 24, 25, 100K plus getting uh, bonuses of 50 to 100 to $150,000. And they had $60,000 of student loans, but they had not paid it off. And it was just like, oh my God, I, I can't believe I have these loans. It's just so expensive. It's so stressful. I don't know how I'm going to pay it off. But you make like 200 or 250 combined, but their lifestyles, right, were really high. You know, back in 20, 2006, 2007, I had friends who were living in Times Square and they had an apartment that cost, I think, $7,000 a month. They both split it, so $3,500 each, not to factor in <laughs> eating out and all those kinds of things. And some people even lived alone. And of course, you have to buy the Louis Vuitton bag and the Chanel bag to go with your power suit that you got from Fury that cost you $600. So it was like, so after a while, I just started to shy away from those people because I did like all those nice things, but I just, I couldn't afford it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. Like I could barely pay for my dinner when I went out to eat with them because of where they wanted to go to eat. So I just threw myself into my work and saving and investing so that I could, you know, tell my mom my balance at the end of each month. So, yeah. So what was the why behind it? Why, why were you, why were you go, you go and this, you know, doing this two jobs, basically full-time work weekends and during the work week to, to save all this money was financial freedom, the goal, or was there something else that was driving this? It wasn't financial freedom. Like for me, I was, I was young when you're so young, you don't think about like, financial freedom. I mean, you do, but not to that extent. Like that was not something on my mind. I didn't have a problem working, but for me, it was just like the sacrifices my parents had made. My dad had retired 15 years earlier. The college tuition my parents had paid could have gone towards my mom not having to work as hard as she had to work. Uh, my mom not having to move with me or immigrate to the States, you know, so that she could create like kind of some sort of landing 
landing spot for me to come to when I came to that last year of college. Um, just thinking about my my aunts and thinking about, you know, other people in my family who were not as fortunate as as me, right? Who my cousins who were taking seven years to go to college. Um, just many there are many circumstances in terms of my background that I just wanted to do well. I wanted to have my own security. And also I, I got to sit and listen to my mom and watch my mom console her friends. And the fear of broke, I think, is one of my the fear of being broke is is definitely a big mindset challenge for me. Just watching that, like seeing a mother with her children and suitcases crying in your house because she cannot go back to a husband who's beating her. It's something that you don't, as a child, it stays with you. And I just never want to find myself in that position. I never wanted to be in that position. I always wanted to to be able to, if my parents said, you know what, we need money for this. I wanted to be able to say, here it is. If I needed to exit a bad relationship, I needed to be able to pack my bags and just go immediately. So for me, it was just that fear of not having anything and wanting my parents to be proud and just wanting to just have better opportunities, knowing where I come from, knowing that my aunt did not have those opportunities um, and just doing well. So financial wellness, financial freedom, yes, but that was not necessarily the, the why at the time. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Saving for a down payment? 
a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest, Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So, you know, you're 27 and you've got 100000 in the bank and you're making really good money and saving up and, and really in what appears to be the midst of a, of a big grind here. Where, where do things kind of progress from here and, and, and does financial freedom later come into the picture? So I continue to say, <laughs> which, is not a, which is not a story I share uh, often because I think people are excited about that first 100000 because they say that's the hardest the first hundred thousand is always the hardest. That's what Charlie Munger says. And then after that, it just becomes plain boring. I just continue to save. I continue to invest. Um, I make more money mistakes in real estate, <laughs> in, um, in investing. And then I also, I also relax a little bit, right? Um, I get more comfortable with the fact that I have saved a hundred thousand dollars and I have spent the last three years eating ramen noodles, which I did actually eat. I remember, uh, at work, because I was so aggressive saving every penny, I would get to work early and walk around and talk to the admins to see who was retiring today, who is having a baby shower today, whose birthday is it today, so that I knew exactly when to show up at the conference room and be like, happy birthday, happy retirement, here's your piece of cake, here's your free lunch. And I would take that. <laughs> and it got so ridiculous that yeah. one of the admins at work, she got to know me. And at the end of every night, if there was leftover food, she'd say, hey, Bola, let's go grab the leftover food so we can take it home for dinner. I was, I had no shame in my game. So I continued to save. Obviously, you know, I, I splurged more. I bought designer handbags, but I just, I never stopped saving. And then... Obviously, I got married, had kids. And when you bring children into the world, <laughs> the dynamics of your savings change. I uh, started a business, quit my full-time job. <laughs> but for me, you know, one thing that my parents taught me is that no matter how much money you you make or no matter how little money you make, 
you always want to save a percentage of everything you earn. It's a dollar, save 10 cents. It's a hundred dollars, save $10. So that has always just been part of, even though I spend money, even though I've overspent sometimes, um, I always save. And then I figure out how to figure out my overspending without touching my savings. Well, well, we so we, we just skipped through a ton of a ton of key points there, but like let's highlight a couple of the big milestones. Where, you know, does your at some point you flesh out? You said you made investing mistakes, so at some point you flesh out a more holistic investment approach. Uh, it, it sounds like when when was that developed? And it could be over five years, but what what is that? And how was that developed over this period? So for me, it's it's just. I can be impatient sometimes, right? And sometimes I like to invest in the companies I like, uh, but may not necessarily be a good fit for my life. And sometimes, you know, when I tie in the impatience to that, it just doesn't work. I remember back then I really used to like Gap and Gap was going through a lot of financial stability. I think their stock was something like $7. I don't know what it is right now. I don't think it's $7 anymore. And um, I would buy Gap stock and then they went through some issues and this stock fell fell, and I sold it and I lost all this money. So it was things like that. Uh, and then taking stock tips from, from coworkers who had no idea about investing either <laughs> and going to buy the Kmart and Kmart obviously went bankrupt and their stock fell to 32 cents or something like that. It was like 31 cents, 32 cents, something ridiculous, lost all my money. So I just realized that for me, slow and steady diversification eventually moved from you know, with 401k offerings had only mutual funds, eventually moved into index funds to minimize on costs and not try to time the market. And I still do invest in individual stocks, especially now that I'm teaching my kids how to invest. It's a concept that's easier for them to understand than a big blob of an index fund. But now my, my, my investing strategy is just very, very simplified. Um, I had also purchased real estate because I thought that maybe I could be a landlord and I realized I actually hate being a landlord. Um, so I sold those. So, you know, for me, it's more simple. It's more um, less stress investing. I'm not a stock picker. I have no interest in doing that. So that's kind of where I am, I'm at now. Okay. And, and, you know, you start to feel comfortable or at least less pressure for money around the hundred thousand dollar mark. You know, what, what, what's like a, you know, when, when, when you got married and started having kids, how, how, how did you kind of feel about your financial situation there? And did you make any changes to your career or lifestyle based on that, um, on those events? Beep. Um, so I mean, obviously I made changes with my kids. Kids cost a lot of money and I have mm -hmm. twins. <laughs> so it's a lot of money all at once, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but getting married, I was also the breadwinner in my family because my husband was still in school. So it was just, I couldn't be as scrappy as anymore, right? I, I couldn't say, let's eat ramen noodles for dinner every day. It just didn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's just how I felt because we didn't have to. Um, so, but I think for me, one of the adjustments was just getting my husband and I getting on the same page when it came to finances, right? Um, my husband is very confident. He was very confident as a student, even though he wasn't making any money <laughs> just in his capabilities. Whereas I'm like, I have to pinch every penny. He's like, calm down, just create your plan and work your plan. I'm like, but what am I going to do while I'm working the plan? So just getting on the same page, making sure we're aligned with our goals, you know, just talking about money, right? And 
just the whole idea of joint finances, because I'm like, I've worked so hard for this. Why should I tell you how much money I have? <laughs> but, you know, it was just it was just getting into that space. My husband is very much an open book. And so we kind of found our money language and um, have been able to work accordingly. And it also helps that we have similar goals and we're able to work on our goals together um, now. So did you, you know, talk the- about money? Before you got married, did you have yes. the money conversation? Yes. So, and the, 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 for me, my conversation about money was I was not going to marry someone that had no ambition, even if they had no money. And I would certainly not marry a deadbeat broke ass because I know where I'm coming from. And I remember when I told you I, I saved that $15,000 for my house down payment. I was dating a guy at the time and I had told him, oh, I want to buy a condo and I've saved $15,000. And he took that information in and he came back to me the next day. He's like, oh, you know, I have this amazing business idea. It's only going to cost $15,000. Can you loan me the money? <laughs> that's a big coincidence. <laughs> and that same day I broke up with him because I was like, oh, no, <laughs> hell no. Good, so- good, good. Because he didn't have a business plan. He was not very ambitious. He was all about get rich quick. <laughs> so my husband and I, we definitely had this conversation. And it was like stuff that sounded stupid at the time. Like, when do you think you'll be a millionaire? When do you think you'll be a millionaire? When? Where do you see yourself five years from now? What are your long-term goals? What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of car do you want to drive? What kind of house do you want to do you want to to live in and it was just stuff that was just so outlandish like a millionaire come on that's a joke (laughs) you know but we would have those conversations and um he was just very he's a very hard worker he was very open my husband had a lot of student loans (laughs) unlike me you know so we we got on the same page about money very very easily although there were although there were conflicts right um but yeah one of the um, big milestones in the, the financial freedom journey is kind of that transition to entrepreneurship. So some pe- some folks retire and some folks quit their job and become an entrepreneur because, you know, and with the entrepreneurships, you know, the story often goes that the first year, there's not very much money, kind of similar to your, your side hustle. And then in out years, you make way more money if things go well, of course. How did your financial, the work you put in for the many years before you you started your business or went to work for yourself, how did that financial position um, contribute to your decision to start a business? What was that a factor? Did, it, did was that comfort level with your the strength of your financial position? Did that come? It into was play? definitely yes. It was definitely a factor. I mean, even just even knowing that I had money in the bank was it was still difficult for me to quit my job, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I just didn't want to miss out on an opportunity for consistent income. I didn't want to miss out on this opportunity for a 401k. And my husband would say, well, if you don't, if you have this entrepreneurial streak and you've, you've sold this Avon, you've had this photography business for seven years, you know, you have what it takes to build a business. Why not take a chance? And in my head, I was like, that is one year of $120,000 in salary, plus my bonus, plus my 401k match that I'm throwing out the window. He's like, you're not throwing it out the window if you kind of build a business that succeeds. So quitting my job was a big challenge for me, even though I had saved because I didn't want to quit my job and then have to start tapping into the savings I had built. So I acted like my savings did not exist. And I spent 18 months putting money aside to meet my own uh, household financial obligations while I gave myself 12 months to run 
to get my business into the stride, which is Clever Girl Finance, and to see if I could even make it work. That's so, what I so did. You, so you 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 had a, a financial position. You set eighteen months. Uh, you you continue working the job for another eighteen months in preparation, or how'd that work? I put aside eighteen months of my household obligation. So I didn't quit my job. I think I had I had been running Clever Girl Finance part-time for two and a half years before I quit my job, but I had saved 18 months of runway to give me that mental comfort (laughs) that I can do this and not touch my savings. And if it doesn't work out, I can go back to work. How much was Clever Girl bringing in, in terms of monthly or annual spending before you decided to completely quit your actual job, the real job? The first, so the first year I made two hundred dollars. <laughs> nice job! <Woo-hoo. laughs> I was like, "This is a hobby. This is not a business. <laughs> Do not quit your job." <laughs> and at the time I quit, my salary, my base salary was one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and I had a bonus. So let's just say I was making, let's say, between one twenty to one forty, if I got the bonus. And uh, the year that I quit Clever Girl Finance was making $60,000 and I had made $60,000 that year. And I remember talking to a friend of mine. I was like, I'm going to quit my job for a company, a business that's making less than my salary. No 401k, no match, (laughs) no tax deferred benefits. And she was in the same position. And she's like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's just do it. So I had my 18 months. And so I quit my job. And it, it's it's really, really interesting because a couple months ago, I, w- I was having this conversation with, with the same friend and we exchange um, income, like our, we're like monthly income accountability partners. And I was like, can you believe that we didn't want to quit our jobs at that time, even though we had businesses that were making money that we, we, we knew we could grow, but we just had this big fear of what if, because we were so tied up to our 401k and our income. I mean, it's a big risk. And obviously I had the comfort of having money in the bank and I had the comfort of having a working spouse, right? Not everybody has those things. Um, but it just, it's just interesting that that was one of my biggest fears. And I was so not willing to take the chance until I forced myself to do it. And then, and then things failed from there, right? That didn't work out. (laughs) Things did not fail. I mean, it was hard. There were many times I cried. There were many times, I mean, I didn't pay myself a salary for, for the longest time. Uh, I remember that when I was able to pay myself a salary, I I chose instead to pay a nanny (laughs) to help me with my kids (laughs) because I was, I was worn to my thinnest thinnest and I many times I would update my resume my resume was always updated and I'd apply for a few jobs I even went on a few interviews and I was like don't do this you you know I just knew that I was I I had the opportunity to do something like I've done businesses where where I've known that this is just a waste of time end it now or cut your losses now but for this I just felt like you have to give this a chance. You have to give it an opportunity to grow. And so I just would never follow through on the interviews. I even got hired once. Um, and I just <laughs> went back to my hustle struggle <laughs> to make it work. I think that's important though. That's a really great piece of advice. My resume was always updated because you it never was, know I when you're ready. Gonna, 
Yeah, you I, you do have I was to take ready. care of people. I was like, I would even look for a part time job if if I if I could if I could find a part time job, I would I would have done that. But it was just harder to do with my kids. It, there were many times I just cried, and my husband's like, "What are you crying about?" I'm like, "I gave up my salary of my four hundred one k to do this." <laughs> the four hundred one k that you thought was a scam. <laughs> my four. I know. <laughs> so. So where is Clever Girl Finance now in terms of your annual spending? It sounds like you're covering your financial obligations to your family and yes. it has grown even more. <laughs> yes. So we've we've grown without sharing my income. We've grown. Most months we do six figures. Um, it's, Most months? It's, it's just, yes. It's, it's very... Um, surreal at times. Um, and it's also very stressful because there are, there's people who rely on the company for income <laughs> to support their families. So I have this massive obligation to make it work no matter what. Um, and it, it's going well. I, I, I sometimes sit back. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that we're at this point where we, uh, you know, there's this company, um, but it's going well. I am able to meet my financial obligations. I am able to pay myself a salary. I'm excited about potential growth into the future. And I'm proud of what I've been able to accomplish um, so you over the last six your, years. You left a six-figure a year salary to now make six figures a month. Are you working every minute of the day? Sometimes. Not always. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's, but, you know, like that's, that's revenue. I, I have expenses. I have salaries to pay there. You know, there's a lot of things that that go into keeping a business afloat. Right. A lot of and I, I don't want people to to be like, oh, my God. Wow. Because a lot of times there's a lot of smoke and mirrors on social media. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does cost money to make money. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, social so, media so influencers are keeping you broke. So, <laughs> So the goal is 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 to increase that revenue and in turn increase those profits. So what's next for Clever Girl? Um, I have a book coming out <laughs> this month. That's what's next. My third book called The Side Hustle Guide, which is something that I'm excited about. My mom was a side hustle queen. I have always had some sort of side hustle going, right, as a way to buffer my income to help accelerate my savings goals. So I think, especially now in a world of a pandemic, if people can think about ways to create multiple streams of income, um, that can be so impactful. I'm super excited about that. That's your, that's your third book, you said? Yes. Yeah, that's going to be an awesome book. Okay, well, we are now at the point of our show where we go to our famous four questions, which are the same questions we ask of all of our guests. Bola, okay. are you ready? Yes. <laughs> what is your favorite finance book? Mine. <laughs> my first <laughs> my first book. And I wrote that. I'll tell you the quick story. My first book, it's called Clever Wealth Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money, Build Real Wealth. This was a book I wrote to my younger self because when I first graduated from college, didn't know anything about money. 
I went to the bookstore Borders, which is no longer around, and I went to find a personal finance book for women. For some reason, I wanted to find a personal finance book for women. And the number one best-selling book for women was written by a white man. <laughs> and I did buy that book, and it was my favorite book for the longest, Smart Women Finish Rich. And I'm like, I was going to say David Bach. Yes, I, lo- I read that book to shreds on the bus, on the commute to work, wherever I was going, till it was tattered, and then I bought a new one. And I love that book, but I was like, this is from a guy's perspective and it's the number one New York Times bestselling book. It still is for women. If you look in that category, I'm going to write my own book to my own self. So that's what I did. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) That sounds a lot like J.L. Collins, uh, Simple Path to Wealth. He wrote it to his daughter. I really like that. I like that you wrote it to yourself. These are all the things that I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what was your biggest money mistake? <sighs> I have so many. But the one I talk about most often that hurts me the most, so the not the biggest, but the one that hurts me the most is my designer handbag collection. So no shame in my game. I love designer handbags. And once I hit that $100,000 mark, I got super, super comfortable. And I was like, I'm going to buy a Chanel handbag. It cost me $2,850. Ridiculous, I know. But just to make you feel better, they actually cost closer to $7,000 today. So I bought this bag and I was like, wow, I bought a Chanel bag. I love this bag. And I carried that bag so much. I got my cost per wear. I didn't buy any other bag. So there was no $100, $25. I got my cost per wear. I got it down to cents on the dollar. And then I was like, you know what? I need another one. And then I need another one. And then another one. And then what happened was I was saving a lot less in order to buy this bag every time I bought a bag. And I had this huge collection of bags that just didn't make any sense because I was barely using them. I was using that first one I bought. And then to make it worse, my husband, then boyfriend was like, these bags are so ugly. What a waste of your money. That's what he said to me. He's like, what a waste. He's like, you have thousands of dollars stacked here in your closet, rotting away. And that was like my wake up call. I was like, you know what? To hell with these bags. I can put this money in my bank account. I remember looking at some math that if I had taken the money I had spent on that first bag, $28.50, and I had invested it, I would have something like when I did the math, like $40,000. But fortunately for me, I bought a brand that held its value and increased in price. So a lot of those bags I sold for more than I paid, um, a couple thousand for some, but it did not equal the money I could have made if I had invested it in the stock market. Wow. I can't believe you spent $2,000, $2,800 on a bag. $850. Oh my god! I sold that bag for five thousand dollars. Well, that's good that you made money on it, but that's wow! I, I just I'm not in that that space like of of you know really expensive bags, and it's always shocking to me that purses cost more than like a hundred dollars. Yes, I, it, I, I it can't is. even pretend to know what I don't know. Don't about get this involved thing. in that, Mindy. You don't you don't want to get involved in that. Don't. <laughs> Because once you fall in love, it's hard. <laughs> Listeners, don't do it. Learn from me. <laughs> what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Just start. And I will also tell people to be very mindful about who they share their goals with. Uh, I've seen so many dreams be killed because they've shared it with people who have no ambition, 
no goals, no focus, and they make you feel stupid about wanting to be great, about wanting to succeed, about wanting to do well, about wanting to have financial security. So keep your goals close to your heart, right? And give them time to grow, give them time to establish roots, and then you can share. But don't let anybody kill your dreams because of their issues or their mindset blocks, right? Um, and just start. Like I remember in the early stages of saving on my ramen noodle diet, I had done my budget and I had an extra $1 that I didn't have a purpose for. And I had opened a local credit union that was 20 minutes away from my job. And I drove 20 minutes to put that $1 in the bank. And it cost me more than a dollar in gas to get there. But I wanted to continue with the habit of saving and the mindset of saving. And the teller looked at me like an idiot. You're going <laughs> to deposit a dollar. <laughs> really? <laughs> But I deposited anyway, and and that was such a huge confidence and just self-boost for me that I did it. I didn't spend that dollar. I put it in my account, and it sounds stupid, but I did it. But it really helped with my momentum, and it really helped with my focus and my consistency. So doesn't matter what you're starting with. doesn't matter how small you have. doesn't matter if you have a ton of debt. Start with where you are and what you have right now. Oh, so good. Love it. All right. What, what, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? I'm terrible with jokes, but I'll tell you a joke that my kids think is so funny. <laughs> what is a cat's favorite color? Oh, I've never Purple. Ah. <laughs> I apologize for that terrible That's awesome. joke. <laughs> no, Scott loves those jokes. <laughs> Okay, Bola, where can people find out more about you? And give us all the places. Yes, you can find out more about me at clevergirlfinance.com. We are on Instagram and YouTube at Clever Girl Finance. You can also get the Clever Girl Finance book series wherever books are sold as a physical book, audiobook, and ebook. And we have over 30 plus completely free courses that we offer with no catches and no charge. You don't have to give us your credit card uh, to help you as you work on improving your financial wellness. And the podcast? Yes, it's called Clever Girls Know. Oh my gosh, yes. So I have a podcast called Clever Girls Know and I interview women from all kinds of backgrounds on money, life, and business. Awesome. We will link to all of that or as much as we can in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show 210. We will link to all of that because we have unlimited <laughs> page length, Scott. <laughs> thank Bola, you. Bola, thank you so much for your time today. This was a fantastic episode and I'm so happy I was able to talk to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate, appreciate being able to share with you. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. That was Bola Sokumbi from Clever Girl Finance. Scott, what do you think of her story? I, I, I think it's great. I think that, uh, you know, she she had to invent or reinvent a lot of the the the, the basic processes of the, the financial independence journey, and she because she's brilliant, she was able to do that with you know saving a lot, large amounts of money and then kind of smelling the bad advice when it came across and you know being skeptical, but then ultimately taking action after she did the math, and ultimately she was able to kind of have an opportunity to start a business and become very successful with it, and and her instincts I'm sure are continuing to serve her really well as she's helping hundreds of thousands of people and, you know, bringing in a, 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 a sizable income now with her business. So I, I think it's a fantastic story. And I think it should be encouraging to folks listening, because if you can hear stories like this 
and replicate, hey, if I just begin investing according to this formula much earlier on, or I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing a little less saving, a little more investing or a little more, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in position to take that opportunity a little sooner. You know, these types of stories you can learn from and then even piggyback on jumpstart and accelerate, you know, by following the playbook and learning from folks like, like Bola. Yeah. A little less, uh, buying Chanel handbags. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, Scott. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Yep. They, that's a, they that's have... how you, that's how you buy yourself some bigger pockets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you said I did, the, oh, said, said I I did there? Did. That's awful. They have $30,000 <laughs> handbags, Scott. And you have to get on a wait list to buy it. You know, I, I think I had I, I did purchase a couple of those little drawstring bags for seven dollars each. Uh, you know, to carry to the gym and all that. Now that it's opening back up, but I don't know what I don't know about these handbags. I know what you don't know, and it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I love the tenacity, tenaciousness with which she pushed herself towards her goals and towards her. I'm going to accomplish this. And even when she didn't have those goals, she knew she had to save. And her parents telling her, save your money, save your money, save your money. There's, what are what are the four ones, the four tenants to financial independence, Scott? Spend less, she did that. Uh, say, earn more, she did that. Save your money and invest wisely and um, start a business. So she did all of them. And now look at her. She runs her own company. She's employing other people and helping people live their best lives. And I'm just so excited that she took all these chances because now she's got her own best life. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I do want to additionally point out is is the grind factor here. Uh, Bola is is making a hundred thousand or at least per month from her business nowadays. And my belief is that to have that type of opportunity at her stage in life, many in, in a disproportionate number of cases, there is a period of years where there's a complete all out grind going on. And she is complete evidence of that working the two jobs, spending very little you know, dis- disassociating with certain people that, you know, didn't, didn't resonate with those values, you know, during that period of time some friends that, you know, didn't understand why she wasn't living in a $3,500 a month apartment and those kinds of things. And that grind, I, I don't think it's a requirement for Phi, but I think that it is disproportionately associated with stories of folks who seem to have gone on to amass a large amount of wealth or become entrepreneurs very early in their journeys here. Yeah. At least so far to what we've seen on the money show. Yeah, there were when she was telling her story, she would skip a little bit. And I thought that's the part that was grinding out. It's no fun to talk about. So for the next six months, I spent very little and saved a lot. And I kept putting it in index funds. Like that's not an exciting, sexy yeah. story. Three years, right? Yeah. She, three years for, three for her years. of, of and ramen then, noodles and, and photo- photographing weddings and work, you know, uh, slogging it out at her day job and seeing consistent raises and dramatic increase in income from her side hustle and stockpiling the money. And from there, from that financial fortress that she established, she's be- she's able to begin kind of like reassessing and, and, and accelerating her, her trajectory with that. Yeah. And that's, you know, the key to financial freedom is not the sexy story. It's not the fun and excitement. It's the slog. It's the grind. It's the mm-hmm. 
you know, now what? We've spoken with a couple of people who are just starting their journey and they're in a good spot, but they're at the beginning of the slog and they're, you know, oh, now what? Well, now you just keep doing it and it's not, you know, fun. It's not exciting. It's just part of how it keeps going. And that's, that's a good point, Scott. The slog is what gets you there. Yep. And that's how I'm wired and how I think too. So I always, I'm looking for that. So take that with a grain of salt, but you know, everything <laughs> to me is a, is a get uh 1% or a 10th of a percent better every day over a long period of time that compounds into just extraordinary outcomes. And that's, that's what I see in a lot of these stories. Yep. Okay. Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 210 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying bye-bye, butterfly. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.